you are listening to the sermon podcast from Bethel Covenant Church. We're an evangelical covenant congregation outside Ellsworth, Wisconsin. You can learn more about us at BethelCov.org. Thanks for listening. Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 13, uh, verse 1 through 9, uh, and we're going to be looking at that in, in just a, a little bit. Josh will come up and in a mo- not right now yet, Josh, sorry. <laughs> just trying to make things tricky. <laughs> so uh, I'll invite you up, Josh, kind of uh, more towards the middle of what we're doing today, because I want to talk a little bit about what comes before that, before we, before we read that scripture. Uh, but so this, uh, the last few months here at Bethel, uh, we've been in the book of Matthew, and we've been uh, walking through the book of Matthew um, and trying to figure out what it means uh, to be a disciple and and again, trying to understand um, what Matthew is trying to tell us about who Jesus is and what it means for our life. And if you remember, this was now a few months ago, we've mentioned it a few other times, that there's kind of one, um, one summary statement in Matthew that talks about what the Gospel of Matthew is all about. And it's uh, something that Jesus taught everywhere he went. Matthew says that as Jesus uh, roamed the world, he taught uh, this one message in a bunch of different ways. And the message is this, uh, repent for the kingdom of heaven is here. Um, so Jesus believed that when he was born and when he walked the earth, that, that heaven actually came down onto earth in the actions that he was performing. And his, and his belief was that a little bit of heaven could exist in him and what he was doing in his community. That, that if the world was ruled by the forces of evil, um, that Jesus was coming and driving out those forces of evil everywhere he went. And that if you uh, joined him, you could experience, uh, not just someday, but, but in your life right now, a little bit of, of heaven on, on earth as God is transforming you and transforming the places that he's sending you. And, and, and he did this uh, in a bunch of different ways. He did this with words, right? Uh, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talked about what it means for heaven to come down on earth. He said, uh, poor people and hurt people and sick people, uh, they should rejoice because heaven is coming down onto the earth. Um, so he taught about what that means, but then he also showed people what it means. And if you remember a couple chapters ago, Jesus walked the earth performing these incredible miracles that nobody had ever done before. He healed unclean uh, lepers, uh, and he proved that his, his holiness, his goodness, the power of heaven in him, behind him, the kingdom of heaven, was so powerful that, that evil just sort of had to run away. That if he came up to you and you were clean and unclean, instead of him uh, becoming harmed by evil, evil would flee. Uh, and so he did miracles like that. He calmed stormy seas. He raised the dead. He did all these incredible things that nobody had ever seen before. And, and so if you... If you believe that, um, you know, the, the question that comes up in Matthew 11 and 12, if you've been reading, um, Matthew 11 and 12 are really, really surprising. I don't know if you read uh, this last week, but uh, a chapter ago, Jesus raised somebody from the dead. He calmed a stormy sea. He healed a very, very sick person. And then you have 11 and 12. And what happens in those chapters is this. Uh, it, it points out... And, and highlights that despite all the amazing things Jesus is doing, uh, despite all these things that you're reading and you're like, how could anybody not get it? How could anybody not believe Jesus is who he says? You know, it's one thing today, right? But if you were standing there and you saw him uh, 
bring a little dead girl back to life? How could you believe anything else? Well, chapter 11 and 12 are, are all about that. And you know what I'm just realizing now is I forgot to send the kids down. See, there you go. Man, those kids are on the ball, right? <clears throat> well, good. If there are any other kids that would like to go downstairs, you can, you can head downstairs. Um, so in, in Matthew 11 and 12, um, we get introduced to four kind of different groups of people, four different uh, characters, and each of them doesn't get it. Uh, and it doesn't make any sense because Jesus has done these amazing things. He's been teaching about heaven coming down to earth, and he's been showing people these amazing signs that that's really happening. And, and if you read 11 and 12, you read a bunch of stories of people who just don't understand. Who, it doesn't make any sense to them. Um, and you'll notice that despite what Jesus is doing, um, he's just making zero progress. He's just making zero progress on convincing anyone. And it starts with John the Baptist in, in the beginning of chapter 11. John the Baptist, right, he's, he's one of the good guys. He baptized Jesus. God set John apart to prepare the way for Jesus so that when Jesus came, people would be ready. And about halfway through uh, the story, we come to Matthew 11, and we notice that despite the fact that Jesus has raised someone from the dead, John sends his disciples to ask Jesus a question. And the question uh, he sends them to ask is this, Jesus, are you really the Messiah? Uh, so John, one of the good guys, his question after Jesus uh, calms a stormy sea is, are you really the one who's coming? And, and John does this because he's honestly not sure. Uh, because despite everything that Jesus has done, he's not living up to the expectations that, that John has for him. Because um, John had hoped that Jesus, that the Messiah would come and that he would destroy um, the kind of the religious establishment. So, so John's kind of on one side, uh, and he believes that the Pharisees and the Sadducees in the Bible are leading people astray, that the people running the temple are, are doing it wrong, and they're teaching everybody the wrong things. And so John's prayer and hope is that this Messiah will come and, and literally destroy them. He says the axe is sitting at the root of the tree. Get ready for fire. That's what John says in chapter 2. And Jesus shows up, and instead of bringing fire, uh, he's healing people and caring for people. And John says, if you're the Messiah, why aren't you making any progress in dealing with these bad people, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees? And, and John's not alone, because believe it or not, those, those bad people that John wants Jesus to deal with, uh, they have expectations for Jesus too. Um, the other group that you see a lot in these chapters are, are the Pharisees. Uh, the Pharisees, they're the, the religious leaders that are kind of in charge. And they um, believed their role um, was to be good religious leaders, good pastors and teachers and book writers like today. You know, they'd be making YouTube videos and podcasts and you'd be downloading their sermons or whatever. The, the Pharisees are trying to do what good religious leaders do. Their job is to help people understand what Scripture says and what it means to follow that. Uh, and so they dedicated their lives to this task. So, you know, John's over here. He thinks the Pharisees are bad. The Pharisees are over here, right? They're trying their best to lead people to follow God well. Um, and they believed that a Savior or Messiah was coming too. And their hope was that when that Savior, that Messiah came, 
he would help all of the regular sinful people that were having such a hard time following God that he would either condemn them or change them into good people. That's, that's what their hope was. And, and if you read those two chapters, you notice um, the Pharisees become increasingly just disgusted with Jesus. Because here this person came, he calls himself a Messiah, and instead of uh, helping them uh, lead people well, he's, he's having dinner with all the sinners. Um, he's eating with the rule breakers. And, and not only that, he and his disciples uh, are breaking some of their religious rules. And so the Pharisees are worried because people are seeing what Jesus is doing, and people are believing in Jesus, and, and they're like, as good religious leaders, they're like, we've got to put a stop to this. This guy's telling people wrong. Uh, the, fairy, the Pharisees get so worried about Jesus that they question him and test him and challenge him all the time, and they even hold a meeting in chapter 11 to plot his death. They're like, okay, let's get together on Tuesday. We're going to figure out a plan to get rid of Jesus because he's, he's a problem. And, and so the Pharisees are wondering, if you're the Messiah, Jesus, why aren't you making progress in leading sinners back to good behavior? Uh, the people, uh, Jesus talks about people that live in the, those three towns, Chorazin, Bethsaida, and Capernaum. Uh, Jesus gets frustrated because despite all the miracles that he's done, they don't uh, turn and follow him either. Uh, interestingly enough, in 11, the, the people who witness Jesus' miracles, who see him do all these amazing things, uh, they're hoping for somebody that's going to deal with their biggest problem that they think they have, which is, is the Roman Empire. Um, <clears throat> but Jesus says they refuse to repent. So even the people in the towns, and finally, uh, the people in the towns are like, you know, if you're the Messiah, Jesus, you're here to save us. Our problem is Rome. Why aren't you dealing with it? Even Jesus' own family in these chapters, these are like the two most depressing chapters for Jesus because even his own family uh, who know him and love him, who know the story of his conception and miraculous birth, even Jesus' own family aren't getting on board. In chapter 11, um, Jesus is teaching inside of a house and instead of his brother and mother and sisters sitting there listening to him, they're outside the house and they're like, hey, Jesus, can you come out here and talk to us? We need to talk to you about something. Um, most people think they're hoping to kind of get Jesus and have a little intervention. Be like, hey, things are getting a little crazy. Come, come home. And, and so what's, what's interesting is that right after that chapter, when all these amazing things happen, nobody, nobody believes. And of these four groups of people, you know, John the Baptist, who prepared the way, the Pharisees who know the scripture better than anybody else, the people of those three towns who witnessed Jesus at work, and even Jesus' own family, uh, he's not making any progress with any of them in, in convincing them of who, who he is. And the question arises, um, and I think Matthew wants us to ask this question, it's, and I think the people around Jesus were asking this question too, the question is this, that if what Jesus is saying is true, if Jesus really is the Messiah, if heaven really is coming down to earth, why aren't these people getting it? Why isn't he making any progress with, with these people? In fact, um, there's only one, in all of 11 and 12, there's only one somewhat positive response to Jesus. Somebody says, could this be the Messiah, the Son of God? They ask the question. That's the best thing Jesus gets after he does all these miracles. And so we're left with this question as we're reading it, right? If Jesus is the Messiah, why isn't it working? Why aren't people on board? Why aren't people getting it? And in our lives, um, we, we wrestle with this too. You know, sometimes there's this thing that 
uh, we're praying so hard for, we're so worried about, and we're hoping to see change in, and, and it just doesn't seem to be making any progress. We have our family members, our friends that we care about, and we're praying for them every day, or, or somebody who's ill, and we're just like, Lord, why can't you move in this situation? If heaven is coming down to earth, where is it? What are you doing, God? We ask that same question, and everybody's asking that of Jesus in that moment. And Jesus responds to that question with a bunch of stories. And Josh is actually going to come up here and read one of them from Matthew 13, verses 1 through 9. Uh, and so, Josh, you can come up now. Um, it's right here. So Matthew, Matthew 13, chapter, uh, verses 1 through 9. Later that same day, Jesus left the house and sat beside the lake. A large crowd soon gathered around him, so he got into a boat. Then he sat there and taught as the people stood on the shore. He told many stories in the form of parables, such as this one. Listen, a farmer went out to plant some seeds. As he scattered them across the field, some seeds fell on the footpath, and the birds came and ate them. Other seeds fell on shallow soil with underlying rock. The seeds sprouted quickly because the soil was shallow. But the plants soon wilted under the hot sun, and since they didn't have deep roots, they died. Other seeds fell among thorns that grew up and choked out the tender plants. Still, the other seeds fell on fertile soil, and they produced a crop that was 30, 60, even 100 times as, mu as much as been planted. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. Jesus says, if you have ears, uh, can you hear me? So uh, I, just, I, I need your guys' help. I know we, we all got an hour less of sleep, so we're going to all wake up a little bit. So we're just going to do, if you ever did standardized tests, we're going to do reading comprehension tests right now. So um, help me out here. Why, uh, what, is the, what is the farmer's goal? What's the farmer trying to do? To plant. Why does he want to plant? To get a crop. The farmer's trying to get a crop. Awesome. You guys are, you guys are doing great. Um, why, is the, why is it that the farmer's good seeds um, don't always grow well? Depends on the soil. Yeah, so um, where it's planted, right? Is it, is it the seed's fault that it's not growing or the soil's? Or the soils, is that the problem? It's the soil, right? Um, so what, um, according to this, what, what stops the farmer from growing good crops in the thorns? Yeah, the thorns choke out the, the crop. The crop doesn't have any, uh, any access to water, resources, or room, room to grow. Um, so does the farmer, though, even though he wasted all these seeds in the thorns and the rocks on the path, uh, does the farmer succeed in his goal? Yeah, he does, right? He gets a good harvest. In fact, it's an abundant harvest, right? Uh, even a hundred times as much as was planted. So is the farmer making progress towards his goal? He is, yes. Right, so, so we, we totally understand, and that's why Jesus talked like this, because it, it made sense, uh, you know, to people. Um, so later, um, Jesus will say this. He'll say uh, that the seeds are, are his message about the kingdom, uh, and, and the different kinds of soil, Jesus says, represent different kinds of people who encounter that same message. 
And so if, if the message isn't received, um, according to Jesus right here, is the problem with the message or the messenger? Is it the message's fault if the, if the seed doesn't grow? Is it the farmer's fault? Is it the seed's fault? No, no, no. The point that Jesus is making here is, is really simple. And right after everybody experienced this thing where, where these seeds have been planted, these amazing things have happened and nothing has grown, um, the point uh, that Jesus is making is really simple, that it's not the message or, or in his case, the, the messenger that determines if a seed will be accepted by the soil or not. It's the soil that it's, it's planted in. What he's saying is that if you, if you stand there and you watch the farmer plant his, his crop and your eyes are focused on the path or on the shallow places or on the thorns, you're going to be disappointed, right? You're going you're to be disappointed because you'll miss the growth. And, and part of what Jesus is saying here is sometimes we aren't, uh, when we aren't seeing progress in our lives, we aren't seeing the things um, that we're praying for happen or, or whatever, um, we have a couple questions we can ask ourselves. If we're having trouble connecting with God, we have a couple questions we can ask ourselves. One is, what does my soil look like? Um, and, and another might be, am I looking for God in the right places? Because what, what Jesus is saying is this, that the kingdom of heaven, right, heaven coming down to earth is making progress. That's his point with this story. It's advancing, but John and the Pharisees and the witnesses to his miracles and even his own family, they can't see it because there's something in the way. There's something wrong with their soil. Um, maybe it's, it's so hard that Jesus' message, uh, whether it's taught or shown, it, it just can't break through their tough shells. Or, or maybe the problem is that... Um, their soil is so full of other problems and other concerns and other questions and other hopes that the seed actually can't take root. Well, what Jesus is saying is that the kingdom is making progress, but people can't see it or receive it because they're preoccupied with other things. God is working in Matthew and in our lives, but often we can't see him or hear him because of what we're focused on. Progress is invisible to people that are preoccupied. In Jesus' day, they were preoccupied with their own political debates, right? Uh, is, it, is John right or are the Pharisees right? Jesus, come settle the question. Is, is Rome good or bad? Jesus, come settle the question. They were so preoccupied with the things that they thought they needed from God um, that they simply couldn't hear Jesus because their soil is, is full. They, they can't notice God work because their soil is, is full. Now, uh, our soil, our minds, we have different kinds of thorns than the Pharisees and even John had in, in our minds. But it, it, still, it still fills up fast, right? We still have things that we pray for and worry about and hope for that we get so focused on that we can't actually see what God is doing. And so I don't know what fills up your garden plot. I don't know if it's, um, you know, it's things that you're watching on the news or if you're like real into politics and you're just obsessed and focused on what's going to happen in a few months with that or if it's the coronavirus or whatever it is, whatever it is that's filling up your mind and your soil. Maybe it's, 
your own family conflicts or your own fears about tomorrow or your work stresses or, or maybe your soil is full up of other good things, good activities, good dreams, good desires. Maybe it's even repeated prayers that you're just desperate for God to work in some specific way. Uh, maybe your February uh, and beginning of March has just been one bad thing after another, right? And every time you say, Lord, I can't take any more of this, fix these problems, and there it is, and you're just so full up of worry and stress and fear, and you don't know what to do, um, that you're full. I don't know what's in your soil, but God's progress is invisible to us when we're preoccupied with something else. I think uh, in scripture today, Jesus gives us both a hope and a challenge for those of us that find ourselves at times with rocky or hard or weedy soil. To those of us who are desperate for God's progress on something, I think we have both a challenge and a hope. Uh, The challenge is that we can admit and turn from our preoccupations, whether they're good or not. We can admit that our worries, it isn't just those things that are the problem or other people that are the problem, but we can admit that it's actually me that needs to be changed. I think that's our challenge. And our hope is that when we have room for God to speak to us and when we have room and eyes open to see what God is doing, the kingdom of heaven can take root in our lives and produce a harvest of change in our world that overwhelms the stuff that distracted us before. Uh, When Jesus came to earth, the thing that he did more than anything else was invite people to turn, to turn away from the things they think matter the most sometimes, from their preoccupations, from their distractions, from their own ideas, and even from their own sin. He invites us to turn and admit that we don't have it figured out, that we need him. He invites us to allow himself to make us new through his death and resurrection and the work of the Holy Spirit because it's good to have stuff that we care about, right? It's good to have prayers. It's it's okay to worry about what's going to happen next. Sometimes it's good to make good plans and to adjust and to have politics and to have those conversations. It's good stuff. It's good to have theology. It's good to have beliefs, but we have to give them over to God and accept what he wants to give us, not what we want him to give us. And so, and and I don't know if you've been with me in that, you know, these last few weeks as we worship out here, we've all been following, you know, the progress of the update over there and what's going to happen and how's it going to come in and and are they going to get it done by March 22nd or not and who knows and and it's and some of us maybe are more uh, focused on that than others. Um, You know, maybe you've been following that I know we have all kinds of hopes and dreams about uh, what God might do in there, and I know we also have some worries about what might happen over there, because we all have hopes and dreams and worries for the future of our lives, for the future of this church, for the future of our families, for the future of our nation and world. Uh, We all have those things, and so as we close our service today, I want to invite us to, to lay those things down. And part of that, when it comes to Bethel and the future of this church, we're going we're gonna to take some action um, to lay them at God's feet. And, and so that's what, why I want you to do, uh, us to do this exercise as we finish today. I want us to, to write down um, the ways that, that God has blessed you and this church. We're going to spend some time to thank God right there on that piece of stage plywood for what he's already done. 
because we're going to remember that he's the one that plants, and he's the one that grows, and he's the one that's going to do something in us. I want to invite you to write down the names uh, or the name of people that you're praying for, that they might have their own encounter with heaven come down to earth. And finally, uh, I'd like it if you would write your hope for what God might do in Bethel in the next in the next 30 years, what seeds uh, he might be planting. And what's great about that is we can write down those names, we can write down our concerns, we can write down all those prayers, and we can give God all the stuff that makes us worry. And, and he'll take those, and he'll hold on to them for us. And, and guess what? Uh, our hopes for what God might do in this church may, may be totally different than what God has in mind. But we've given them over to him, and we can allow him to plant something else. And as we do that, we'll be clearing room in our soil for what God wants to do in us, in this church, and in our families. Because if we let God work, it'll be much more amazing than anything we were worried about or hoped for. Because God wants to work in our hearts, in our workplaces, and in his world. Because we don't know what the plan is. We don't always know what progress looks like or where to find it. But we do know that Jesus came to set us free from the power of sin and evil, to bring heaven down to earth in our hearts and in the places we go, and to promise that one day, if we put our hope in Christ, these mortal bodies will be raised and changed to eternal ones. We know God was working then, and we know he's working now. Amen? Let's pray together. Dear God, you uh, start the work and you continue the work, and you cause the growth, and you finish the work. You plant, and you grow, and you harvest. And sometimes we get distracted by our concerns, and by our fears, and by our worries, and by our bad habits, and by our sin, that we can't see what you're doing. And so we pray, Lord, that as we uh, pray for this church, that we would have open space for your spirit so that we'd have open eyes to see what you're doing. And instead of making you do what we think you should be doing and getting mad when you're not making progress in the ways that we think you should be making progress, instead, we just submit ourselves to you. And we say, I know we don't have it figured out. I know I don't have enough. I know, Lord, that I am trapped in sin. For the sake of your son, would you forgive me and grow a new work? We thank you, God, for what you've done and what you're doing. In your name, amen. Thanks for listening to the sermon podcast from Bethel Covenant Church. We're an evangelical covenant church outside Ellsworth, Wisconsin, and you can find out more about us at BethelCov.org.